Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, Right, hello. Can Is that working? We seem to have some terrible problems there. Hopefully um, you can all hear. Sorry about this, if this is actually coming through at all. I don't know if anybody can hear at all. Uh, I've got a technical issue at my end. Um, I don't know if that's coming through. Hello, Ian. Ian, are you able to, um, I don't know if I'm coming through at all. Okay, sorry about that. I've had some issues my end. My, my apologies. Um, how's everyone else? Okay, great. Sorry about that. Um, let's go for it before anything else breaks. My apologies and thank you to the patience of our guests for uh, for hanging on and um, and to our viewers as well for um, for sitting by while we do that. It's probably at least allowed you to get a drink. 
um, I think some of us could do with one now. Welcome to our Pride episode. As June is Pride Month and last weekend was Portsmouth Pride, we thought it was about time we had explored all the issues uh, involved and we have gathered together a rich and diverse panel of guests this evening to join us um, to, to go on that journey or perhaps take us to the destination. Simon, how are all the technical issues appear to have abated? Well, if I'm not coming through looped or sounding like a Dalek, or at least you can hear me, that, to be honest, is a progress from where we were about three minutes ago. So um, I'm doing well, other than having less hair than I started with. So are we... Are we, so are we and time on the tradition... <laughs> yeah. So in time on a tradition, uh, we, we'll, I'll just... Yeah, I understand that you've done the research and you're going to share with us just a little bit of history before we introduce our guests and get them to introduce themselves. Um, yeah, so it being uh, it being Pride Month, um, we thought it would be handy just to have a, um, a quick snapshot of actually the um, the history of LG, LGBTQ plus rights actually in the UK. Um, so um, so just to get, in 1957, uh, the Wolfenden Report um was uh published that basically recommended the decriminalization of homosexuality um and it wasn't until 1967 that the government of the day actually legalizes same-sex act acts between men over 21. Uh, northern ireland and scotland didn't get around to doing that until 1981 and 1980 uh, respectively uh, 69 the stonewall riots occurred um in uh, in new york um 72 um so the year I was born, uh, the first Pride March occurred in the UK. Uh, 1988, the dreadful piece of legislation, Section 28 um, of the Local Government Act, uh, ba effectively banned local organisations from promoting homosexuality or promoting the acceptability of homosexuality or it as a replacement, quote, pretend family. Um, uh, in uh, 2002, there was the first Pride event in Portsmouth, uh, which hopefully is something that... Um, uh, Tally can inform us a bit more on. In 2003, Section 28 was finally repealed by the then Labour government. Scotland repealing it had actually repealed it in 2000. Two, uh, also in 2003, the Civil Partnership Act. 2005, the Gender Recognition Act, um, giving trans people full legal recognition. And in 2010, the Equality Act gave LGBT um, employees protections from discrimination, harassment and victimisation at work. And in 2013, the Same-Sex Marriage Act um, came, uh, basically allowed uh, same-sex couples to marry. Um, and that came in, in didn't come in, into, in Scotland until 2014 and in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland until 2020. So that was a quick, a quick journey down the timeline of um of lgbt history and rights um in the uk so should we um should we start asking our guests to introduce themselves here i think that would be wise i can i'll pick that up on i'll pick up question one and question two so if you'd like to start by just introducing yourself and what is your connection with the community and can i ask that first to tally please of course um, my name is tally aslam my pronouns are she her um, i'm actually the chair of portsmouth pride which is a voluntary run charity uh, so we all have day jobs but we give up our time because we believe that this is an extremely important cause um, and I've actually been involved with Portsmouth Pride since 2017. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy to be here and talk about uh, the journey as as I see it. <laughs> Marvellous. Thank you, Tally. And Cast the Elliot, if you could introduce yourself. Sure, thank you. Um, I'm Elliot Lee. Uh, my pronouns are he, they. Um, I'm an activist, uh, Green Party campaigner, uh candidate a couple of times um just activist all round really um notable campaigns being um uh a campaign for participatory budgeting in portsmouth um and nationally uh a campaign to um abolish the monarchy um my 
relation to this is I'm, I identify as pansexual and I am a strong ally of the trans community as well. Thank you, Elliot. And by no means, uh, last but by no means least, George, if you could introduce yourself, please. Okay, uh, I'm George, he, him, uh, queer. I'm an advocate for trans rights, gay rights, uh, LGBT rights, all that good stuff. Um, I've campaigned under the Ports of Independence Party, but that's not re really relevant to this conversation. Um, uh, I just, in general, like to um, advocate for the rights and uh, liberation of minority groups, and likewise with the LGBTQ plus community. All right, that's my intro done. <laughs> Yeah, if you could, if you couldn't tell, it's my first time <laughs> or in any podcast. Thank you very much, marvelous, George. Thank you, and and um, yeah, first first time on the podcast, and um, right. yeah, no, no worries at all. It's uh, it, it's it, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, absolutely, and and yeah, no, just relax into it. It's 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 just a chat, and we'll we'll pretend like there's no one listening, and hope that's not true. So, Simon, you've you've got an uh, you've got an audio clip there from from Edward from University of Portland. My name is Edward, uh, pronouns they, them. I'm bisexual and non-binary, and oh, I've been in the community for quite a while now, um, probably since I turned about 16, I'd guess. Um, my relevance of being in this podcast is that I am in the LGBTQ plus society at the University of Portsmouth. I'm actually a current committee member, being the treasurer, and I will be the president uh, next year. Within the student sense, they kind of just are a hub for students where you can, you know, direct questions, make student groups. So it's really just kind of giving students the freedom to take their own student experience into their own hands, I think. Marvellous. And if we can launch into our next question, which the question is, are things getting better or worse for representation, equality and acceptance? What changes have you experienced in your lifetime? And Elliot, could I ask that first to yourself, please? Sure. I, I think there's definitely a, um, a larger acceptance, a societal acceptance of um, the LGBT queer community uh, amongst society. Um, I mean, I mean, a great example is, you know, as a young person, when I was a kid, I remember um, being called, uh, others being called gay or queer as, as still, and that's still being used as a, as a quite a big slur on the playground. But, um, you know, now today I've, um, I mean, for example, back at uh, Pride last weekend, um, I, uh, on a store I was running with the Green Party, we were seeing young people f and, and families come into the store and and being very open with us, being very open amongst their family and friends. So I, I think there's definitely a, a larger societal acceptance. Um, and unfortunately, in, in other aspects of life, there's a, a um, it, it fluctuates a lot more. And unfortunately, in recent years, we have seen a larger assault on um trans right trans rights and the stigmatization of of trans and non-binary people thank you elliot um tally your your experience um i think for me probably being a marginally bit older than uh, both the other guests um i grew up during section 28 so it was a completely different time i think now and in my experience um it's a bit of both uh, visibility is much better, but prejudice and bigotry towards the community is on the rise and it's exponential. If we look at the government statistics that were published uh, at the end of March 2020, we saw an increase of 56% of transgender hate crimes in one year. And we're coupling this with a 41% um, related to sexual orientation and hate crimes. And if we take those figures back to 2018, we see a 156% increase in trans hate crime and 125% increase in sexual orientation hate crime. Now, some people may argue that actually these crimes are just being a, a wider, widely being reported now. Um, so there's more inclusion, but there's still a huge group within our community that have issues with the police because of the bigotry um, that they have personally experienced. And, we don't really know the true statistics around hate crime, but what we can see is the narrative where, you know, things aren't getting better. Um, and one of the key things that we really need to address when we're looking at if representation is getting better is stop looking at it in silos. 
I am a mixed race, queer Muslim woman. Um, and we can't look at equality purely and simply in, in one aspect of it because we are all intersectional individuals. No, I think that that raises some really interesting points in terms of 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 the language in intersectionality and and how you know things are changed have changed and are perceived and we'll definitely pick up on those later in the podcast. Um, George, your experience as a as a younger uh, and again, I have to tread carefully here because I am an ally. I, I use to use the word queer. For me is 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 quite challenging because uh, i'm probably the oldest person here and i grew up in the 70s where um you know, there, there was no ownership of queer by the community so as, as a younger person um how have you how have you found acceptance and inclusion george yeah initially i found it to be quite hard especially in secondary school where there was a big stigma stigmatization of um the lgbtq plus community among other communities unfortunately um, especially in year eight if i recall there were a lot of um slurs hurled at me in particular and my friends which i don't wish to repeat but you know obviously they were quite horrific uh though over time especially in college and hopefully in university i've found that um equality and acceptance has gotten significantly better there are facilities in place for me and my friends to go to in order to uh um kind of file complaints if such behavior is to take place uh so while of course i do acknowledge that there are troubled times especially for the trans community and especially for um members of ethnic minority communities within the trans community that uh generally speaking we are getting better and i hope that over the coming years um we'll just continue to get better yeah, let's let's hope that uh, that trajectory continues simon yeah i did have a, a response from edward on that one i think it's very odd because the overall consensus most people seem to be getting better but that doesn't seem to be necessarily reflected in lawmaking which i think is a very interesting kind of um differentiation that's going on between those two for instance um a lot of more friends and people are more aware of what you know the certain identities or terms involved in lgbtq plus stuff but then you see uh, maybe it's just the fact that minorities are getting louder um i'm unsure where that exactly lies but uh, there's you know massive increases in hate crime against you know homophobic and transphobic hate crime you've seen a lot of legislation recently the so you know there's a lot of uh, accusations of culture wars going around about the Tory party and in Venice, most of our political, political parties who have very much um, weaponized the concept of trans people and are using that to pass a lot of horrible laws under the kind of facade of protecting women. But in like most day-to-day -day places, it seems to be getting better. So it's it's quite confusing. I don't know properly which direction it's going in because you see, I'm, seeming, I'm seeing so much conflicting information in my day-to-day. Um, that's great. Was there anything else anyone wanted to add on that one at all? Did you want me to pick up the next uh, the next question, Ian, or did you want to revert to the? Um, so our next question is about actually the um, uh, asking actually. So we talk about the history. So how do you see the the historic battle uh, for rights? Um, and um, I d you know, I, I appreciate um, Ian and I are obviously um, older than um, have been around and observed a lot of it more of you more than most of you and Tally. You, you've observed uh, more of that, but how how are you? Um, how do you see that that historic battle, and what are the struggles that are that are still um, that are still left to uh, to fight? And if I can um, if I can ask that question, uh, please uh, first to George. Yeah, of course. Uh, so obviously, I'm young. I haven't been there to experience the um, struggles and battles for rights that the uh, LGBTQ plus community have faced. However. As someone who has done an A-level in history and as someone who regularly stu studies history in his pastime, I've gone into research into the kind of, especially like Stonewall and uh, all the riots and protests and that lot. And I think that for centuries, the LGBTQ plus community have been marginalized by kind of this broader government or culture that tries to kind of see them as this how do I say it? Uh, inf uh, inferior being. Uh, and I think that throughout 
the centuries and throughout the battles, we have come to see ourselves as equal beings. Now, of course, again, trans people uh, are currently in the fight, uh, especially for like rights and stuff. So it's quite a long journey ahead for them, possibly decades, I think. But in the end, I think we'll come out on top because factually speaking, um, LGBTQ plus people are here to stay and there's nothing anyone can do to change that. Thanks, George. Um, Tally, did you have anything you want to add on that one? Um, yeah, I think when we look at historical battles, I think we can't negate the misogyny that's come with this legislation uh, because there's never been any uh, illegality to being a lesbian because by definition, women are not equal. So therefore, we don't deserve the same sort of punishment. Yeah. And I'm using air quotes for the audio element of it. Um, and, and that's something that is is really important, is that a lot of this legislation comes from misogyny and masculinity and comes from these negative elements. We, I grew up in a time where, because I was openly gay, um, I never thought that I would ever be able to get married. Um, that, was, that was a right that I didn't have because I was a, a queer woman. Now, we've fought for equality and we now have marriage equality, which is a wonderful win. We've had the decriminalization, um, the change in uh, legal age for sexual consent. And these are all wonderful, but we also then can't negate, you know, when you look at that timeline of when being homosexual was decriminalized and only male homosexuality was decriminalized. It still wasn't until 2000 that it was decriminalized within the armed forces. And as a Navy city, that's something that's really important. Um, you know, civilians had freedoms that those who were putting their lives on the line for our country didn't have. Um, and while we look at the progress we've made, one of the things that we really need to be mindful of right now, and I think it's naive to think that things will only get better, is our human rights are under attack. You know, with the changes to the Equalities Act of 2010 due to Brexit, they're actively, the government is actively stripping away trans rights um you know gender rights and if we allow them to strip away rights from our trans siblings our non-binary community are completely unprotected under the law um you know when we're not even starting those fights we're just trying to protect the rights that we have and we have a hell of a lot to still fight for and i would say at this point for the entire lgbtq plus community we need to be wary of this government and what they're doing um, with our rights and we have to ensure that we as the L, the G and the B don't allow the government to take away the trans rights because there is no LGB without the T and it's a real struggle and we're seeing this actively happening in the US where we are going, they are going backwards um, and what we have to fight for right now is to ensure we don't take backward steps and we need to hold this government accountable because these are human rights and it, regardless of anything, we cannot allow them to strip away rights from one aspect of our community, because when they can do that, there's nothing stopping them from from coming after the rest of the community and, you know, things devolving back to the way they were in the 1800s. Fantastic. Um, thank you. Um, Elliot, did you have anything um, to add to that one? Um well, when you sent me this question, I've made up quite a long list, so you'll have to bear with me. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, for me, I, I'm i really grateful for everyone who have, um, in the community who has come before me and and fought those battles. Um, and we have to remember that these, these fights are still in living memory for many um, amongst our community. Um, uh, and I think such an important thing we can do is to make our education LGBTQ plus inclusive. Um, I think back to my my history studies, doing GCSE history, there was nothing of that sorts in the curriculum. Um, and it wasn't until um, university I was actually exposed to that kind of history. We also need, um, uh, you know, similar things in in sex education as well, because it's just non-existent at the minute in our curriculum. Um, and, uh, coming back to the history aspect of it, you know, a great example of that is trans people 
and intersex people and queer people have always existed within our our community, especially globally. Um, talking about globally, we need to remember that same-sex marriage, uh, same-sex relationships is still criminalized um, um, in over 70 countries, I believe. There. And in many of them, the death penalty still applies. So it's it's a real tough one, but the, and and there's still so many more battles to fight, um, uh, and I think um, on the intersectionality point brought up earlier, that's still really important with um, climate change, for example, uh, as well as disability. For me, is something that's really important that needs to be addressed. That that was kind of the end of my point because I, I didn't want to ramble on too long, but it, we do need to remember that. Um, LGBT people are most affected by climate change. I don't mean to be that that Green Party person, but it is a fact, and as well as um, disability issues as well. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, there's been a massive success and push. You've seen, you know, Pride starting off as not even protests, like full-on riots um, that have gone through, and you know, slowly over time have got that recognition. There's a lot of criticism these days of you know, oh, do protests work and stuff. And I would argue that looking looking over the past of the queer movement, those protests have definitely worked. If I can move on to the next question, which is how important do you think it is to see LGBTQ representation in politics, in film, in, on television? And my sort of sub-question is, do, do you think you'll ever see a person from the LGBTQ community as prime minister in your lifetime? So if I could ask that first, please, to Elliot. Um, if I don't beat anyone to it first, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know. In the incoming years, we will see um, someone uh, of the community in that position. Um, but I mean, the the brilliant day will be when um, it doesn't matter who's prime minister that we can just be accepting of, of whoever they are. Um, and, and I think in general, representation in all media is super important, um, especially um, as we see the rise of um, platforms such as YouTube and TikTok, when people um, of other community from any background can can make content and share the lives um, that they they are living. And I and I and I think that's so important for for everyone around the world. And I as those platforms especially um have certainly helped me understand my own identity um and where i stand in the community and my understanding of uh gender fluidity and all that so it's really important um for everyone marvelous thank you elliot tally did you want to add to that um yeah i think for me Representation is extremely important and seeing things on the mainstream media, especially in my lifetime, you know, shows like Queer and Spoke, um, shows like The L Word, they were hugely important to our community and the ability for people to be able to, to be themselves. When it comes to us having an LGBTQ plus prime minister um, in my lifetime, I think for me, it may happen, but what? And just being sort of maybe a bit, um, what's the word, uh, on the negative side of things, it will probably be um, a white cisgendered gay man, um, purely and simply because they have the privilege. They will be able to go to the best private schools, go to the best universities. Um, you know, they'll be able to follow the path that all of the other prime ministers and a number of MPs that have come before them are able to do. And to have real change for our community. It doesn't matter if we have queer representation as prime minister. What we need is people like Zara Sultana, um, you know, real people who are like us, who are campaigning for LGBTQ plus rights, demonstrating true allyship to the community. And not, you know, the Rishi Sunaks, the Preeti Patels, the Sweller Bravemans, people who don't live in the real world. If we genuinely want to see change within politics for our community, we need our allies to stand up. And I think for me, that is more important right now 
in in this time and this fight and in my lifetime than having a queer prime minister. I mean, it'd be amazing. I'd love to do it, but <laughs> I don't have enough time. Um, but I think that that's to me what is really important, especially for our community. Perfect. Thank you, Tully. And I'm going to try and bring George in with my fingers crossed that the audio issues are resolved. George. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of um, TV and movies and cartoons, video games, all that good stuff, um, I actually wrote a little EPQ on it, which is like an extended project qualification for university. It was like 5,000 words, and I had to do a bunch of data um, collaboration on the um, representation of um, LGBTQ plus people in culture. Um, and I found some really interesting stuff. So like in January of 2023 alone, there were 1,000 articles. Uh, I believe the specific was 1,035 articles on transgender people alone in January of 2023. And like 1,002 of those were um, negative. And I think that that really shows that we really need to be um, careful in how we represent people in our media, in our culture, in our TV, movies, newspapers, all that stuff. Uh, and on the topic of politics, I think that it would be really good if we could get a trans, um, bisexual, gay, lesbian prime minister, um, any of the sort, really. <laughs> uh, I think that the more MPs or um, people in the cabinet, even, that we have who are members of that community, the more a voice that we have and the more power we have and the more uh, representation we have in wider society uh, all i hope is that it won't be a situation where their identity masks their incompetence so if they are to be an lgbtq plus prime minister um then i would hope that they would be good at the job uh, sarah santana i'm not sure if she's lgbt or if i'm thinking of another politician it might be Nadia, oh God, what's her name? They're kind of on a Zara, Zara Sultana's an ally. She's not okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. Depending on how you define the community, but she is an Okay, ally. my apologies. It's just I got her mixed up with um another socialist kind of left-wing um, branch of the Labour Party. And, oh God, who, what was I going to say? Okay, wrap it up. Um, It would be good. I just hope they get at the job. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, let me just play Edward's clip uh, for this one. I'm just gonna, again. I'm just going to do the audio again. So sorry, Edward, um, with our technical issues. But let me um, let me play that his response. On, uh, sorry, their response on this one. Sorry. I think it's massively important. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of it nowadays. I'm a big feeler of you know, fan of representation in general. Um, I think it, even kind of broadening the question as well. It's the same thing of you know. Do you want to see women represented in politics? Do you want to see people of colour represented in politics? You know, people of different ables and abilities and stuff. It's really important because for so long and very often you think of politics and it's just a bunch of um, very similar looking people. It's typically and stereotypically uh, white old men who end up making a lot of decisions um for you know for a very large demographic of people from for an entire country. Now, whilst they don't have supreme power, you know, we have parliament and we have a democracy so it's not just one dude making decisions which is good but um it's important that you get a variety of people in there because they will have better experiences and knowledge to be able to you know influence and correctly govern that body of people if we don't have any queer people any trans you know gay bisexual people in court a lot of the legislation made around those people which there will be because there always is going to be may not be the most correctly informed do you want to pick up the next question simon um yeah i'm I, i'm good for that so uh so the next question um I, i'm going to ask firstly um to uh to uh, tally because that's um it, it's very much right in your wheelhouse uh so um supports with pride events evolved um over the years from a from a protest movement to a and, and as we were saying earlier on, to a to a great um, family event and celebration, how how do you see its its future evolution? Um, I think for me, I would say that Pride is very much like Portsmouth Pride is very much still a protest, um, and this is something that we still try to encompass with it. Um, I think a lot of people 
when we talk about protests, have a have a conception, which is maybe a little bit mis- misunderstood of people holding placards and shouting and screaming and it very much coming from a place of anger and rage. Um, but when we look at what we what was done with the drag story hour protests, um, you know, especially in Portsmouth, uh, Queer All Year, Queer POC um, and some people from Pride, we came with music, we were singing, we were dancing, we had a bubble machine. Um, and we were just bringing joy. And that's what we do with the Portsmouth Pride main day event. We bring music, we bring dancing, we bring singing, we bring performers, we have information stalls. And it is it is a protest by being visible. Um, and the evolution, we hope to continue to expand it. We hope to continue to deliver what, what we're doing. And what sits at the core ethos of this is we want to provide a space where everyone is welcome. And it is an event for all ages. It is free. It is unfenced. And those are the reasons. The reasons why we do that is to ensure that it is accessible to everyone. Um, We aim fundamentally to if we can change one person's view and make someone slightly less bigoted, because we have humanized the LGBTQ plus community by them stumbling upon our event. That's a win. Um, you know, yes. And I think this is where Portsmouth Pride and a variety of other volunteers, I mean, there's 300 prides up and down the country. The ones that generally get spoken about are sort of London, Manchester, Brighton, Birmingham, which are all paid for events. The volunteer run prides much like Portsmouth Pride, are here for our communities. But when we talk about protests, and I think this is something that I feel very passionately about, is we protest as queer people every single day just by existing. 365 days of the year, I protest. Every time I go to work and I talk about my wife, when I'm open about my sexuality, when I state my pronouns, these are all acts of protest against the social constructs that we live in. And we can't forget that. And I think a lot of prides, you know, it is a celebration, but this is how we protest. We protest by being happy, being visible and enjoying the fact that we can stand together as a community. And that's what I hope that Portsmouth Pride can continue to do. Um, you know, we will keep it free and unfenced for as long as we possibly can. Um, and, you know, I'll do a little pledge here now. Um, we worked out, we had about 20,000 people attend this year's event, which is the biggest we've ever had. Um, I've been involved. I volunteered in 2016 with the team that did it there. And it was a fence paid for event. In 2017, we took it over. We started with nothing. We did something small on the bandstand and we've grown it. It's grown exponentially, but we've grown it from the ground roots up and we've put the community at the heart of that and ensuring that there should be no barrier to protest. You shouldn't have to pay five pounds to come and participate in Pride. Um, And for us, we worked out if every single person who came to Pride this year could have afforded to give five pounds, we would have had enough money to keep us going for at least the next two years. Um, And it kind of leads in a little bit to the secondary question about the commercialization of prides. Um, We work really hard with our partners to use local businesses who actually put back into the community, um, who employ, you know, employ people who are run by LGBTQ individuals, have a link with our community. And for those that aren't, we work with them to do lived experience workshops to take the onus off of our community to have to justify their existence and that's how I see the evolution of Portsmouth Pride. We have the main day which is our celebration, our protest but within that as a charity so the Portsmouth Pride Trust we do community outreach. We have Queer All Year which is a campaign of Portsmouth Pride that is looking specifically at how we can engage with the queer community because we acknowledge that queer people and queer people of colour are you know disproportionately um affected by mental health issues by unemployment um you know just general resilience you know these are very resilient people but they get they have a hard time um just existing so we want to make sure 
the evolution of Portsmouth Pride is to empower, encourage and give our community as much of ourselves as we can to make Portsmouth a truly inclusive city for everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, would either uh, of you two want to um, add any more to that? <laughs> no, to be honest, I, I think um, Tally has okay. said said everything that needs to be said. Pride was such a joyful occasion. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I unfortunately couldn't attend because I'm an A-level student. But um, I think from the pictures I saw on the videos I saw, it was quite wonderfully set up and he did a fantastic job this year. And I think just, just on that, with you being an A-level student, one of the other things that we're very conscious of is there are a lot of young people and especially young trans and non-binary individuals who may not be out to their families, may not really know. I mean, even regardless of where you sit within the in the alphabet, um, it can be difficult to come out and just being able for people to be able to wander through and see individuals much like themselves represented that's hugely important to us and I also want to thank um, uh, you um, Elliot and the Green Party for the stall that you had I didn't get a chance to stop by but I did wander past and I think it's such it, it makes a huge difference to the community to have access to things like that and again it was all free um, you know, and and it was for the community, and that's that's the vision, that's the future, is for us to keep doing what we're doing, keep it free, and make sure as many people can participate and feel comfortable and safe and find their tribe. Definitely, so important. That's lovely. Thank, thank you, Tully. Um, next question. Next, next question it is about in a time where language is often weaponized and there is you know, the media storm around culture wars and pronoun police, you know, how important are the words we choose? And can I ask that far first, please? To yeah, you? of course. Um, I've found the culture wars to be quite hard uh, as of recent because, you know, I have a lot of... Uh, friends and even close family members who are specifically members of the trans community and i think that this um culture war that's been stoked up around the trans community has been really harmful for them and seeing the effects it has on them them being labeled as like um groomers and like um mentally ill and all this just terrible terrible stuff it, it's just disgusting to be quite frank and um i really hope that um we can put the culture wars behind us that we can fight these culture wars and just kind of see what it is it's just repackaged homophobia at the end of the day back in the 60s back in the 80s back in the 70s um it was these homosexual or these homosexual kids and it's the same thing these homosexuals should be banned from bathrooms it's literally the same thing this culture was literally just repackaged and just strap slap with another name on it and frankly i'm fed up with it uh, i believe it was today just recently like in the past few hours that rishi sunak was revealed to have been talking in a meeting with other conservative members or um of parliament about transgender women and he used some really disgusting language to kind of joke about them and make light of their existence and frankly i find that kind of language to be abhorrent to the community and i stand strongly with my transgender brothers sisters siblings of all sorts and varieties to um and i pledge that i will fight with them uh to the very end until this culture war is over that's all thank you george tally i think it's like george said um it is just repackaged it, it, it's repackaged they've they've used culture wars time and time again um it's an absolute farcical term that has been coined essentially by governments um and particularly the government that's currently in power to divide us and to to shy us away actually from what the real issues are language is extremely important and one when i say we do the lived experience workshops i think the biggest difficulty for a majority of people is a lot of people don't want to offend someone 
and and that's admirable but we need to be able to have these conversations we need to be able to teach people what is offensive and what's not offensive and i i did a session with with novatech i, I also work for an uh, engineering company called mott mcdonald um in their apd department um so i'm an engineer by trade and a project manager by day so working in that area what we're looking at is how how we can start that conversation to give people the tools give people the language and if they do ask when we run the sessions my sort of first point is this is a safe space and you can say whatever you want and nothing leaves it there is no judgment it gives people the freedom to ask those questions that may be offensive that they may not mean to be offensive but it allows me the opportunity to one take the emotional labor away from our trans and non-binary siblings and and use their experiences to educate those who don't understand why and i think and without sort of going on too long one of the key ones that we did was was pronouns um and the term cisgender and you do get a lot of pushback with people saying well why do i need to put my pronouns on my email signature and we did a session uh, with business south coast and we spoke about this and we're saying with businesses it is important to put your pronouns on the bottom of your email signature because what it does is it demonstrates to a small number of individuals who sit outside binary gender that you acknowledge that we it's it's not just male and female that there are other individuals there are other identities that are valid and there was a gentleman of a certain age and even he turned around and said I've never heard it explained like that um, and he said, I am a, a man of a certain age, but it's not about me. It's about other people. And he took that away in a really positive way. And he said, now, you know, he can talk to his friends who are all men of a certain age and they can educate, he can educate and they can go forward with it. And I think language is one of the most important tools that we have. And we need to be very careful with how we use it. But we also need to be able to have these conversations in a safe environment where I can give you all the information to not be a bigot, because sometimes bigotry comes from, well, all bigotry comes from learned behaviour. If we can unlearn that and people are willing to unlearn it, we can put an end to bigotry, but they need to be able to have the conversation. Um, and this goes across gender. This even goes to race, you know. there's And, and I will say, because I am half Pakistani, but so many English people refer to it as, you know, a packy shop. And that's not okay, but they don't see a problem with it because that's what they've always called it. They're not racist. You know, they've got Pakistani friends, they've got Asian friends, they have no ill will towards the Pakistani community, but they still refer to it using that term. And it's it's about unlearning those ingrained elements. And we can, you know, we can only do that by opening the conversations and really looking at how we use language. Thank you, Talia very insightful and very helpful um elliot um you want to come in on this one yeah sure i mean it has already been quite well said um i mean put quite simply we're, it, it's ne it never hurts to be mindful of what you're saying words can create a safe environment words can create protest um unfortunately you know the concept of being woke or politically correct is often used as deflection and I, I've had that personally um, myself as a disabled person I've had that um, from an employer um, and it's really it can be really hurtful on the receiving end so yeah it can never hurt to be mindful of the types of words we're saying the tone we're saying it in and yeah thank you sir I should not use sir, it's uh, very gender positive, <laughs> so apologies, apologies for that. And that's, uh, as Tally points out, as a man of a certain age, part of it is unlearning um, 50 years of, of, of language and learning what is appropriate. So Simon, can I pass to yourself? Um, yeah, did you want me to play um, Edward's um, yeah, yeah, if Yeah, if you, you, well. yes, please, Simon. In an age of... Um, where everything's recorded, everything's on screen and easily accessible. You know, people can pull up any, any instance of you from you know 20 years ago, if it's been recorded, they can find it in the right places. 
and they can take that out of context they can put that in its own little bubble and go this is what you said this is the word you said and this is the connotations of that word it's very very important it's very important to be careful and on the other side of our one here if we advocate for certain things and certain rights and certain avenues if we say the wrong word suddenly we'll you know it can be labeled too radical or too out there and um a lot of people dislike this notion but you know the only way we're going to get any change or get in any power or get any movement done is we have to play their game we have to play the the game of politics and bureaucracy and red tape and the frustratingly long times around that we won't get anywhere close to that if we don't start thinking about what we're saying Um, yeah, so um, that was um, so. On to um, on to question seven. So no, fi final question, Simon. If you want to lead, lead us home, that would be yours. splendid. Um, indeed. Okay. So um, so our, our final question then, um, and um, so um, this is hopefully a, a little bit easier. So, what are your hopes for the future in terms of um, equality and inclusion? And um, and I think um, I'll just uh, just quickly play um, Edwards just to get that um, in there quickly, uh, if that's all right. So let me just just give me a second. Uh, sorry. I really hope it gets better in terms of just in terms of safety, really, in terms of safety and security of those sort of those rights and those those things that make the UK the things that make people want to live in the UK really. And it's just, uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of people I know, a lot of people I personally know who are very realistically debating just leaving the UK and moving abroad because there are so many other countries that they know are going to treat them better where they're going to be safer. They're not going to get assaulted or, you know, ruined by their doctors or have any sort of things happen to them. And, you know, I, my, my sister is trans and I very much worry for her because, I mean, she, she's in Brighton, so, you know, pretty good in terms of whichever city you want to be queer in. But um, it's a lot of unsafety around. There are a lot of horrible people, a lot of horrible lawmakers, and a lot of police systems and law systems that don't have your best interests in mind. So I'd really like to see kind of... I, I think... Equality, I don't really know how to quantify, I think, is the issue. So I don't really know what my hopes for future in terms of equality specifically are because like i don't really know i don't think i can comment on that but in terms of inclusion there's a lot where the uk is falling behind and sometimes just slowing down on progress sometimes actively back back backtracking but um i really want to just get safer because for a lot of people a lot of people i know they feel very unsafe in the uk okay so that was um that was edward's um answer to um looking for the future um, and if I can put that, um, if I can put that next to um, Elliot, please. Sadly, again, I think there, there, there's a long list of things that I, I could I could name. Um, again, but again, put simply, um, I, I would say intersectional global justice um, around the world. Everybody deserves to feel free, to feel equal, to feel safe. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a really hard one to quantify. Um, I, I, I guess something I, I would want to highlight, especially, is uh, the rights uh, of queer disabled people um, in the UK and around the world, especially because these are people who face a lot of marginalisation, um, a lot of discrimination, and decreased access to, to healthcare um overall it, it's it's really hard to kind of quantify the the amount of things that need to change but yeah intersectional global justice is is about as best i can word it okay no that's that's fine that's great um george sorry i did have to kind of tap mute again because i was getting that um problem hopefully that's disappeared again and you can give us your answer yeah, and no, I'll fix it later. Oh, um, there we go. Yeah, it's it? crackling a little bit, but persevere. Okay, that's all right. Um, yeah, so in terms of hopes, um, 
forgive me for going a bit specific. I remember a couple of months ago the um, unfortunate um, case of Brianna Jai. Um, she is no longer with us, but she was a wonderful young woman from what I've heard. Um, I'm friends with some of her friends, and um, I followed her on TikTok as well, and she was just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Uh, to my knowledge, and the law dictates that her birth certificate um, means that she will not be recognised on her gravestone as what she wants to be identified as. And I, I think that changing the law so that Brianna and others like her will be recognised by the gender that they wish to be recognised as long after they're gone is one of the greatest and most important steps that we can take, at least nationally speaking. Um, I think of some other more specific instances, I believe it was Mexico recently or somewhere in the continent of South America in which they legalised um, a third gender, I believe non-binary on the passports. I believe that uh, recognising third genders and other genders is an important step, including non-binary and transgender people and all those under that umbrella. Uh, and for a final point, I think that people who are members of the queer community should stand up and let their voices be heard. Um, I think that they should get into politics. I think that they should get into activism. I think that they should get into education and any other sector, basically, in which they believe that they can spread the message that their rights need to be expanded upon and that their rights are under attack and we need to fight back. Uh, so overall, I think that um, the queer community needs to unite and we need to fight for the laws that we know we do not have and we need to uh, expand upon laws that we already do have and entrench them. That, that's all. Okay, that's great. Um, uh, Tally, if you want the last word on that one. Um, yeah, I don't know if my internet's going a little bit slow, but sometimes it's a bit crackly, uh, my end. But for me, personally, my hopes really are for us to look at equality and inclusion from an individual basis to take sort of what Elliot was saying and what George was saying as well is we need to not look at it in a siloed element and we need to look at inclusion and equality for all human beings regardless of their characteristics and I always like to use this example or like metaphor is when we are born or in my experience when people are born uh, depending on your biological makeup or what is between your legs you're put on a track and that track defines your life so for me I was expected to get you know go to school go to university you know meet a man get married have kids buy a house and and that's the social construct that is our our life and that's that's what's expected in order for us to truly have equality and inclusion every time I wobbled on that track I would pick up a label so lesbian that suited me queer um you know person of color that that helped me to stabilize who I am whereas my dream for equality and inclusion is that when we're born, we're put on a platform where we have the opportunity to decide what train we want to get on, what track we want to ride for as long as we choose to. And for us to truly have genuine equality and genuine inclusion, it has to be that every human being is equal, is treated the same, regardless of their race, their sex, their sexual orientation, their gender identity, all of those things, everything that makes us human beings because our experiences are all different. And when you can be inclusive of one aspect of the community, you can still end up excluding others. And we have to embrace our differences to truly be an inclusive and equal community. Thank you, Tully. And I think on that note, um, that perfectly, that's a, lovely way to sum that up and so i'd like to thank all of our guests for sharing so candidly and openly this evening and giving us some some great insight and some some points there for for allies and people outside of the community uh, to learn from so thank you for sharing your lived experience um, you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast
I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guests have been via um, by recording. We've had um, Edward, who is joining us as a representative of the um, the LGBTQ plus society at uh, the University of Portsmouth Students' Union. Uh, we've had um, Elliot joining us uh, from the Greens, uh, Green Party, a Green Party member and activist. Uh, we've had George uh, join us. Um, thank you very much. Who's a, um, a community campaigner and Tally, who's joined us um, also from uh, from Portsmouth Pride. So thank you very much all uh, for your contributions and for tolerating and putting up with the, the technical issues that we've had uh, this evening. Um, thank you so much for bearing with that, uh, with your patience. I've been Simon Sansbury. Uh, please do join us next week uh, where our episode, uh, where we hope to invite on some, uh, some of the councillors that stood down this year and hear what they've got to say about life on the council um, and um, life outside the council. Um, and um, who knows, maybe, that maybe they'll encourage... Um, some other people to um to get involved and to um and to get involved in politics so do join us uh, next week at 627 um you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast <laughs>